Welcome into a brand new betting preview for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. We'll talk outrights, maybe some matchups, some props. Obviously, the one and done. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Andy Lack. Andy, hello, sir. Another elevated event on the schedule. Good morning, man. Yeah, I would say that this is, for me, up there as one of my favorite tournaments of the year. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite golf course on the schedule, but I would say that this is the closest that we get to a U.S. Open in terms of course conditions all year. And the U.S. Open is my favorite tournament of the year. So I guess it kind of it kind of does end up being up there in my personal rankings. Yeah, no, no surprise there. Um, now, your full course breakdown is on rickrungood.com. You should go check it out. It's one of the first things I read every single week. And Andy, the the other item that we have to deal with is probably something that we don't really need to deal with today, maybe tomorrow. But it looks like we're going to have to keep an eye on wind over the course of the next 48 hours or so. Yeah, there's been a ton of discourse already on wind uh, on like Sunday night, Monday morning, which really just stresses me out because I the whole way that I see it generally with wind is wait until the last possible moment to really make a definitive decision about what you're going to do. So I will dive deep into the wind and how I think that should affect your DraftKings strategy and such in my Wednesday article on the website. But look, I mean, let me ask you this question, Rick. Are you the type of guy that on Monday morning, if you hear something like this might be in the cards, are you the type of guy that has the discipline to wait before you fire off any of your outright wagers? Or do you just say, screw it, I'm going to try and get the best number and we'll see what happens? So admittedly, just my normal process. Uh, I don't usually get lineups and wagers in until later in the week anyway. So it, mm. it is not necessarily a big change for me. It's a lot of content. It's a lot of updating the database. It's a lot of all this other stuff on, on Monday and Tuesday. And then by the time Wednesday's Wednesday rolls around, that's when I'm naturally putting it in. I'm never going to be the guy who gets the best number as soon as it, as soon as it opens at a book, I'm just, I'm not available. So these weeks actually, um, there I'm, I'm great with it because I'm not building lineups on Monday. I'm not putting picks in on Monday. I'll have all the information one way or another because my natural routine takes me to like a Wednesday entry. Okay. That's fair enough. I kind of look at it. I separate it into two ways for me with betting. I am always in the mindset of get the best number like this week. I got a 30 to one on Will Zalatoris on yeah, Monday morning. Really and now cool. I'm pretty sure that he's like, 22 to one on the same buck and even as low as 18 at a lot of other spots. So I always say with outright wagers always go early and get the best number. But as it relates to DraftKings, like I don't even consider making a lineup until Wednesday evening. Let's look at that betting board. This is the odds checker grid. It compares one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different sports books so that you can see if you can get the best line available as discussed. There's a big three, Andy, no surprises here. John Rom fresh off his victory at Riviera seven to one Rory McElroy and Scotty Scheffler are both 10 to one. I'll, I'll tell you what I bet John Rom at Riviera. I should bet John Rom more often. That was about, that was easy. Just go out, put, put all your money in on John Rom and never sweat the thing. I should do that more frequently. 
Yeah, so if John Rum wins this week, this will be six wins in nine starts. I'm sure Tiger's done that, but man, I have to imagine the list of players that have done that is very, very short. I mean, we are talking all-time historical stuff right there. Um, I can't go that low. I just, something about it, it just... I've been doing it the same way for so long. And when you have such a strong group of players between 20 and 50 this week, I mean, we're talking top 20 players in the world at 70 to one this week, Rick, right? Like Hideki Matsuyama is a bona fide top 25 player in the world, and you can get him as high as 66 to one this week. So for me, it's so hard to take the single bullet approach that once again, for better or worse, I will be foregoing the big three, I guess, at the top and starting my card in the high 20s and 30s. I got to ask, if you're forced to choose one of those three, all things aside, who do you think ends up having the best week out of Rom, Rory, and Scheffler? Okay, so um, I I think it's pretty much a coin flip between Rory and John Rom. I, I think John yeah. Rom, and I've I've watched a lot of John Rom in person the last couple of weeks, and he is splendid even without his best stuff. The Rory thing is interesting because uh, Bay Hill, Andy, as you know, you, you know this has some pretty sticky course history. It's not quite Augusta National levels, but it's it's pretty sticky year over year. And Rory just absolutely torches this place. And the only thing that he has done wrong in Phoenix and at Riviera was he, he didn't putt well, which right. he's been much improved with the flat stick over the course of the last year or so. So I'm, I'm quite bullish on Rory. I think if you made me choose, if you gave me a free bet and I had to pick one of these three guys to the top, I'd probably take Rory at 10 to one instead of John Rahm at seven to one, but it's, it's very close on those two. I'm a hundred percent with you. I actually just finished writing up in our golf digest experts picks column. We have to do a matchup every week. And I just wrote up Rory plus one Oh five, I believe over John Rom, which, you know, to me, I'm in the same boat. I think it's a coin flip between those two. I think John Rom, if we're talking best players in the world, I think John Rom obviously has the belt right now. To me, again, I think it's a coin flip who ends up having the belt by the end of the season. But I do think that we see some positive regression in the direction of Rory McIlroy, where Rom is just playing at a somewhat unsustainable pace right now, whereas Rory feels a little bit more due for a high-end finish. The 20s are absolutely jam-packed. Max Homa at 20-1. to Colin Morikawa, 21. Zalatoris, as you mentioned, Andy, as short as 18, as long as 22. There were better numbers available on him earlier in the week. Patrick Cantlay, 23. Xander Shoffley, 24. Justin Thomas at 25. And Tony Finau rounds out the 20s at 26 to 1. So this is where you've you've already alluded to starting your card. I've already clicked Will Zalatoris's name as well. Let's talk about this section of the board. Yeah. I mean, I love Zalatoris this week. I don't know if I love him as much at 22 or 18 to one. I would say my kind of buy signal on Zalatoris would stop at like 24 ish, 25 to one. Um, I just think if I was building a course for Will Zalatoris, it would look a lot like Bay Hill. 
Um, he is one of the best long iron players in the world. He is one of the best drivers of the ball in the world. If this tournament gets one at 14 under par, I think that's fine for Will Zalatoris. If this tournament gets one at even par, I think that's fine for Will Zalatoris. He has been very open about the fact that he thrives in difficult conditions. And that's why he's been so good at the majors is because, and he said this in an interview on no laying up where he talked about how it takes a little bit of pressure off of his putter and allows the thing that he is best at, which is the ball striking to kind of shine through. And when he was asked like, why do you like us opens and majors so much? He was like, well, I feel like I can make bogey and it doesn't really kill me. And at the end of the day, if I just keep hitting it to 15 feet and two putting, then there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to be close to the top page of the leaderboard because there's no one, you know, there's a very short list of players that is as good as me as hitting every single green in regulation and two putting. And speaking of two putting and putting in general, despite the zoomed in figure eight, um, you know, slow-mo putting strokes that we might get from Will Zalatoris. He is a much improved putter. He has been very good with the flat stick over the course of his of, of the last couple of months and starting to look like himself again, gaining nearly eight strokes ball striking at uh, the Genesis Invitational. So I have also already clicked Zalatoris. I am thinking long and hard on Colin Morikawa, uh, but mm. h- how else would we dissect this tier well i want to ask you another question when's the last time is this the highest you've seen justin thomas can you remember a time when's the last time we've seen justin thomas at 25 to 1 yeah that's probably pretty high i can kind of look back a little bit but you're i mean is is it not it's uh, been years i think (laughs) let me see if i can find it real quick um well here's this here's a stat profile while while i look this up um Mm. Is it warranted? I mean, I'm 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 a little bit worried about this, right? You know, this is this is an ongoing trend from the Scottish Open where he has not been the one stroke per round player on approach, and then when you add that concern to the general putting concerns and the lack of experience, what do you like? How how do you think experience goes at Bay Hill, considering the fact that uh, JT's played here once? It was eight years ago. He finished T forty nine. Obviously, a much different player now. But are there are there nuances? Do you think the learning curve is steep around here? Yeah, I mean, I th- in terms of just like pure numbers, this is one of the highest courses in terms of correlation of success and course history. So yeah, I'm definitely factoring in course history this week i think when it comes to a player of justin thomas's uh, caliber course history as actually isn't the thing that i'm most worried about what i'm most worried about is what you just touched on which is that he has not been himself with his irons for months now right and when you take away a player's biggest weapon i mean jt is one of the best iron players of all time he's one of the best iron players of the last two decades but for basically yeah i mean four five six months now this used to be a guy rick that routinely would gain four five six seven strokes on approach on a week in and week out basis like it was nothing and we haven't seen him 
play at that level with his irons for a very, very long time. So yeah, I kind of have a hard and fast rule where anytime JT crosses 20, I kind of just blindly bet it, but I've had to reconsider that lately. And I don't know if I feel the same way about him as I did in the past. So just looking through my database very quickly, um, I believe the last time I, I only have two instances in the last four years three instances of him being longer than 25 to one. He was 26 to one at the 2021 Northern trust. That event doesn't exist anymore. He was 29 to one at the 2019 open championship. Hmm. He was 34 to one at the 2019 U S open. And, and that's it. I, I don't have, yeah. so we're talking about years uh, since three, we've seen three time. Three times in the last three years, right? Three yeah. times in the last three, four years, basically, huh? Yeah, that's that's the way it ends up. It ends up shaking out for JT at twenty-five to one. Yeah, for sure. Um, the thirties, Victor Hovland, thirty-one to one. He had a close call at this event last year. Jason Day's playing great. He's thirty-three. Hatton at thirty-five with Cam Young and Matt Fitzpatrick at thirty-six. Still some high-end, top-tier golfers in this area of the board. Yeah, so I have two golfers that I have bet in this range, and one of them is your guy, Victor Hovland. I bet Victor at 35 to 1. I think that's a more than fair price on him. What's the state of the union these days, Rec, on your guy, Vic? Because I watched him up close at Riviera, and I don't really know what I, I, I'm, I'm kind of always at a point where I often, guys like me and you, typically tend to bend the knee to the numbers, but I watched Hovland up close. I followed that group for nine holes. To me, his short game still does not even remotely pass the eye test. And what I saw on the 10th hole, and I understand it, it's a very hard hole, but what I saw on the 10th hole where he had 30 yards and it took him four shots to hit the green was one of the more traumatizing experiences that I have had as a golf better slash watcher uh, in recent memory. So where do we stand on Victor short game and Victor in general? So the state of the union is unsatisfied, but optimistic is the way that I would, I would put that. So, um, he, he has personally not been happy with the state of his game as of late. Now it's, yeah. it's always tough when you talk to these guys, because, the, the unhappy with the state of his game is a T20 at, at Riviera in an elevated field event. It's a T13 at Pebble Beach. It's a win five starts ago, right? Like, like yep. it, it's it, it's a sliding scale for a lot of these guys. But um, he's kind of working with a new swing coach. He's working on some new, new things. I, I believe that he believes he's very, very close. Now, that is in the long game. Uh, the short game is obviously a little bit different. That's that's always going to have its ups and downs. I think there's going to be spots where you know where there's where there's less sand and thicker rough around the greens where he's going to have a little bit more margin of error. Or on some of these places, like St Andrews was great because the greens are twenty thousand square feet and he just used his putter yeah. everywhere. Like there there are going to be better spots than others um, when it comes to the short game. But I think in general he is he is trending in the right direction and he feels like he's pretty close. Yeah, and the reason why I bet Victor Hovland, despite being so scarred by his short game up close at Riviera, is that at a course like Bay Hill, 
you get a ton of thick rough around the greens. Whereas at a place like Riviera, there's a lot more shaved off areas. So like if you miss a green, the ball's kind of just going to roll for a while and you're going to have this tight lie chip that is like really difficult and takes a lot of skill. Whereas with thick rough surrounding the greens, at least you can kind of just slide the club under and take like a bigger swing and kind of pop it out there and hope for the best. To me, that is a less skilled shot than chipping off of like a shaved lie. And what's interesting about Victor too, is the numbers wise, he's actually not a terrible bunker player. Um, like I have him as like a top 35 bunker player over the last year and a half, essentially. And there are what 84 bunkers at Bay Hill. So I'm willing to forego the short game right now. And this was a course last year that allowed him to what? I mean, he was a shot away from winning this tournament, right? I remember he missed, he had an iron approach on 18 and what it came up like just short or yeah. just long by like a foot, right? Something I think it was like, like that. a foot short. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm willing to roll the dice. I think 35 to one is a fair number on him. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. We need a win on mainland U S soil wreck. I, I think it's coming. I, I think it's, yeah. I think it's very, I think it's very close. Uh, who's the, who's the other guy. You said there's two guys in this range. Cameron young. Who, yeah. you I know what? Yeah. Have we forgotten about this guy? I mean, I, I just, you know, people were so enamored with Cameron Young uh, towards the end of last year at the start of this season. He was going in the top 10 and the top 15 in many season long fantasy drafts. And now it feels like, I don't know, there just isn't as much chatter around him as I would have expected. Maybe it's because that runner-up finish came at the Saudi International, which wasn't an event that got a lot of eyeballs. But look at those ball-striking numbers from Riviera. I think this is a phenomenal spot for Cameron Young. He finished 13th last year uh, on his debut, and he has a very similar skill set and profile to your Rory McIlroy's and Victor Hovland's where they're driving and long iron play puts them at such an advantage at a course like this. Yeah, I'm admittedly a little bit worried about the short game just because that was that was one of the things that really allowed himself to s separate uh, from being just a, a random bomber or a random ball striker on the PGA Tour. And we're starting to see some some shakiness there, but I couldn't pass it up. I mean, if you just uh, if you take his 100 round DNA, throw him on this golf course, like I love his chances. I got him at 38 to one. He is you can still get him at 36, as short as 28, as yeah. long as 36 on the board. Um, this is where we start to get into who can win. I, I know you've got a, a take on Hideki, who's as short as mm -hmm. 50 to one, as long as 66. I think uh, I saw him in the 70s. So there are a couple of options here, but we're probably getting like, like who can actually win out of this range if we're talking about outrights. So the highest I went this week is 100 which is probably like I, the guy that I ended up betting at a hundred was probably somebody that I just kind of felt like I've been sticking with this guy for so long. I have to keep riding him, but yeah, I mean the other guy that I was looking at and I haven't pulled trigger yet, but I'm pretty close is what do you think about Ricky this week? <laughs> um, 80 to one Rick. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like a six and a half out of 10. I don't think I'll bet it. I, I do appreciate what he has been doing 
turning this game around. You can see it in the stats. He's gained on approach in every event of the season. Um, the like, I I guess where I'm stuck is is Ricky's 2023 ceiling good enough to win an event yes, yeah. of 44 of the top 50 players in the world? That that is the only question. I don't have the answer to extremely fair. And I think that's why he's still 80 to one in this field. Um, I don't know. I think a win is coming for him soon. I don't know if it's going to be this week or maybe be maybe next week at the players ends up being a better spot for him. But this is a guy who has had a ton of success in Florida. I think he's won three times in Florida. I know he's won the players and the Honda classic before. So that's at least two. And he's been good at Bay Hill over the years. Like it's been a lot of made cuts without breaking through for a victory. So I'm eyeing the 80 I'm close on him, but at the very least he is like a, a top 20 guy for me yeah. this week. What about you? Is there anyone in this range that you feel like you've made any wagers between like 50 and a hundred. So I haven't, I haven't, I, I did get Hideki. I feel like our cards are pretty overlapped this week, which is, which yeah. is not always, not always the case, but I feel like we're pretty aligned here. You know, I, I stare long and hard at Keegan Bradley. And again, I asked myself mm. the same question, like, can he actually win this golf tournament? So I, what I think I'll end up doing is getting exposure to Keegan, getting exposure to Ricky, uh, maybe even Seamus Power in some of like the top twenty markets, maybe some of the the matchup markets. But I've I've drawn the line on who can win at. Uh, for me, I believe it's at Hideki. Okay, so I drew the line a little bit farther, but listen, I have been riding this Gary Woodland roller coaster for what feels like years now, and I look at those numbers from his last start at the Genesis and. There is no way for me not to do it coming off one of the yeah. best ball striking performances of his career. Once again, like Victor Rick, he was, um, he was right there last year. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you remember, bunker late, if I remember exactly, he left yeah. one in the bunker very late, which cost him the tournament. But I look at those ball striking numbers at Riviera to gain 12 strokes ball striking in that field on that golf course my hands are tied. You, you know, you, you give me triple digits on the guy and I just have to, I have to place a little bit on him. And, and real quick, like this stat profile, um, you know, 12 and a half strokes ball striking at Riviera, but losing four in the short game, that feels like a stat profile that has improvement towards the ceiling. The Ricky yeah. Fowler one, you know, I, I look at this T10 in Phoenix where he gains six strokes on approach. He gains four with the putter. He made an ACE in Phoenix at a golf course that he has three, thrived at and yeah. in an elevated event it's a t10 right like that that feels like we've like that was a cap ceiling type week yeah. and we got a t10 which is great but that's kind of how i differentiate between those two stat profiles when i look at them yeah yeah no it's very fair and i think like one of the things also that drew me to woodland this week is there's a very, very large plurality of approach shots from 200 yards plus this week. I mean, it's just a long course. You have, uh, I believe, all of the par threes rec measure over 200 yards. I think one of them's like 198 yards. But this is the toughest set of par threes on the PGA Tour. And you have four par fives that 
are reachable by most players in the field, certainly if you hit the fairway. And so there are just going to be a lot of long iron shots on this golf course. And I still have Gary Woodland over a pretty large sample size. And I run my numbers a lot more long-term than I think most people do. Over like the past two years, he's the number one long iron player in this field. So to me, I think it's worth a chance, but no, once we, like, I am not spending much time even looking past him into the 100s in a field like this. Gary Wood, so just to close the loop on some of these guys in the matchup market, Gary Woodland, I see it plus 115 to Keegan Bradley's Ooh, minus 138. That's a tough one. Eight, that's a tough one. Ricky yeah. Fowler, minus 138 to Adam Scott's plus 115. I'm a little bit more interested in that. Those are the two that I saw for, for those golfers. But I, I do think there's an opportunity, Andy, where – you know, we've drawn the line at who can actually win, but there's a lot of other guys that I'm going to have exposure to in this market because I believe in them, even if it's not necessarily to hoist the trophy on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, even just looking at it right there, I would probably take Tommy Fleetwood over Seamus Power. I mean, Tommy is another guy in that Ricky Fowler zone of like 75 to one that. I just don't know if I see him raising the trophy, but you look at, you know, this is a guy that has had a tremendous amount of success in Florida. He's had great success at all three of the big Florida tournaments. He's been good at Bay Hill. He's been good at the Honda classic. He's been good at TPC Sawgrass as well. I always felt like with Tommy Fleetwood, if he was going to break through, it would be at one of these spots. And we've seen him finish runner up, at Shinnecock on an extremely firm and fast golf course with a ton of wind, right? We've seen him finish runner up at Royal Portrush before a very tough British open course with a ton of wind. So my favorite matchup was probably that Fleetwood overpower one. And then I would also probably lean in the direction of Hideki over Tom Kim. This is just a lot of golf course for Tom Kim. Um, and, uh, I, again, I think Hideki is a little bit undervalued in the market. I, right I now. saw that one too. They're both, both minus minus one ten. The other one I liked was Sahith over Corey Connors. Corey Connors just hasn't yeah. been good. Yeah. Just, just hasn't been good. And Sahith is not usually a guy that I target in matchup markets, but he's, uh, he is getting a little bit more consistent. I will ask you about, uh, who was it? Xander's in a couple of interesting matchups. Mm. Minus 129 to Max Oma's plus 108. And then Xander and Colin Morikawa both minus one ten. Speaking of state of the unions, like what's the state of the union on on Xander? I think pretty good. I mean, he was a guy that just missed my betting card this week, but I'm definitely going to look to him on DraftKings providing the ownership. I think he's a pretty good one and done option this week too, and and we'll talk about that in just a second here. Um, but I mean, his irons, Rick, look at those iron numbers. I don't think there's much cause for concern. Everything I've heard from inside his camp is that he's fully healthy right now. I know that there was a little bit of an injury concern earlier in the year, but yeah, he's just the type of player that like a bad week for him is T 33, right? 
And, and, you know, in terms of if we're talking matchups, Rick, I still believe that he possesses one of the highest floors in golf. And so like, I would definitely look his way in some matchups. What about you? Are you, how, how are you feeling on Xander these yeah, days? It's hard. It's hard to argue with this, right? Plus six at Riviera on approach plus six in Phoenix on approach plus four in three measured rounds at Torrey and plus two in two measured rounds at the American express. And like you said, it does feel like the floor is T33. Now he did have to slam dunk one late on <laughs> Friday to make the cut. But what, I mean, once he, you know, he moved up on, on the weekend, I, I think there's, um, there's few guys who are as well-rounded and as consistent as Xander is, which make him very, very valuable in matchup markets. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I, I don't know. I still think like, do you see Xander? Is this a guy like if we're talking for, so we like him in matchup markets, we potentially like him in one and done. How do you feel about the 24 to one as an outright number? Because again, to me, man, that feels like pretty high for him. Cause even when Xander wasn't winning, he got so much respect yeah. in um in the books that it, it was very rare for a while to see him hit that 24 25 range yeah he'd always be like the fourth or fifth guy at like and he'd be there like 16 to 1 or 18 to 1 or something like that i do think it is yeah. a little 24 is a little long there are some books that are hanging a 16 on him so it, it, it's if if you can shop it that's obviously the best way to be able to do it but you're right it is a little long i think there's just for me, my eyes go to Colin, my eyes go to Zal Torres, but you're right. If I went and looked up Xander's historical odds, I bet you I wouldn't find many 24s. Yeah, yeah, totally. So again, I, I think he is a decent option in all markets this week, especially with the matchups. And I guess we'll get there when we talk about some one and done stuff as well. Yes, which we can transition to in just a second. We'll talk props quickly and then one and done. But first, we're going to take a quick coffee break and hear a word about Andy's podcast. Andy Lack is one of the nerdiest golf guys that I know, and I mean that as an absolute compliment. His knowledge of course architecture allows him to create some of the most actionable course previews available, and he offers up pure expertise on his own podcast, the Inside Golf Podcast. Twice a week, he offers course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategy for every PGA Tour event, and he expands the universe by bringing on entertaining and knowledgeable guests who can offer a different viewpoint of the game that we love. Follow Inside Golf Pod on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. Real quick before we jump into this, one thing we wanted to make an effort on was to go through some of these comments yeah so we can go pretty quick on these little rapid fire garrett says are we concerned about the win we kind of covered that but he's taking it to the next step saying if it is windy would that place more emphasis on around the green play or would you change the stat profile for this week yes um good Call Garrett, I'm with you. I would place more emphasis on around the green play because what wind is going to do is it's going to inherently probably create a lower greens and regulation percentage. So obviously the lower greens and regulation percentage you have, the more emphasis on short game just from a pure volume standpoint. So yeah, I think the windier that it gets, the more you want to look towards short game. 
Alex says, haven't heard much about Sungjae this week. Here is Sungjae's stat profile. He is coming off a T42 at the Honda, an event where he was uh, basically the favorite to win, a T56 at the Genesis. But before that, it was a ton of solid play, Andy. So now let's just continue this trend of State of the Union. How do we feel about Sungjae? I'm actually out on Sungjae this week. And I actually am curious about your take on this because like I bet the NFL every single week, Rick, and to me, the NFL is all about scheduling and situational spots. And, um, you know, Sungjae's, I think the only player in the world, this is his eighth start in nine weeks. This is going to be his fourth start in a row. And you started to see the wheels come off over the past two weeks over the weekend, which is a big red flag for me. Like I, if I'm Sungjae, like I miss the cut here and rest up for the players. Like I get it. It's golf. He's 23, 24 years old, but there's a reason why nobody else is playing this much golf. I just, to me, this feels like he needs a little bit of a break because he's playing at an unsustainable pace and it's starting to show up in his results over the weekend in both the last two weeks, Rick, he has started out strong and kind of fell down the leaderboard over the weekend, which tells me that, Hey, maybe it's not the best idea to play every single week. Yeah. And the stat profile, you know, it's a little bit more inconsistent than I would like, you know, to, to lose off the tee in two of his last four, to lose on approach in four out of six, to lose around the green in what is that three out of six and to lose with the putter in the last, like, it's just, it's kind of all over the place. It feels like he's trying to plug some gaps and, and, and figure everything out. How about Nick who wants to chat about Tony Finau, talk about great ball striking. Tony's in that camp. I'll tell you what, this is a better stat profile than I think I was expecting to see from Hunky Tony this week. It's good. It's just a true, like, can't bet everyone situation. You know, it's just yeah. like all these guys are playing such great golf, and it's really, really hard to delineate and find reasons not to be on players. Like, the reasons to not be on Finau this week is extremely short. But I guess the one that I'm going with is that he typically has not had as much success on grainy Bermuda as some of the other elite players. Like he is not a guy that tends to um, make his schedule around playing a lot of golf in Florida every year. I mean, he's played this tournament in the past. I don't think he's played it since 2020, but I would say, I guess like, I'm kind of out on Finau 50% because I just don't have room for him and the other 50 because I, I don't think he loves Florida golf. That's that's the hardest part about these weeks, and especially you mentioned it. We write that article for, for Golf Digest, and it's like, hey, fade one of like the top five or six guys, and it's like, oh, okay. Right. You know, the, the margins are so small between those guys and everybody in the top 15, and it, they're all great, but you just can't play them all you can't bet them all and some guys just get left out and it's no it's no fault of their own tony's great yeah tony's but it's just like i like other guys better hmm. uh matchups we don't have the matchups or excuse me props we don't have the props out yet on prize picks but you mentioned something earlier you said you know if it does get windy uh, that's going to lower the number of greens in regulation i also imagine that if we get one day like Friday where the afternoon wave starts to pick up. We've seen Andy that price picks is not fast enough to adjust on the in-game variants of playing an outdoor sport. That is 
two things that I will be like refreshing quite a bit on prize picks this week. Yeah. So I think you want to be eyeing um, greens and regulation and fairways hit. I mean, this is the course with, I believe the lowest greens and regulation percentage last year on the PGA tour. So I don't know how much prize picks is going to adjust for that. But the number one thing that I would be looking for is if you start to notice that that greens and regulation props are like, regular to what you see at most courses i would hammer some of those unders especially if we're talking on friday when it gets super windy i mean that's going to be a day where like if we have 25 mile per hour gusts like if you hit 50 percent of your greens that's like probably going to be a good day one and done so just a quick snapshot of where the the run and done the rick run good one and done stands we've got squeaky 1680 at the top. He got both of the uh, <laughs> elevated winners, <laughs> Scotty Scheffler and uh, John Rob. That accounts for 7.2 of his 9.3 million. We web green it, uh, 9.1. Fro, 1331. I know Fro. Uh, they're all over 9 million. That's a million dollar gap to fourth place. <laughs> so these massive purses, Andy, are like, they're, they're going to decide these, these one and done's. Big time. And I think in the run and done, I'm like <clears throat> somewhere in the 500s. I have a lot of top 25s and not many victories. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's that's just the way that one and done is this year, Rick, is it's like these are the weeks like you could afford and we'll update our like last week was another week where. I beat you pretty handily and I don't think I gained that much ground. Right. So it's like, these are really the weeks where it all comes down to. And we have two in a row again, Rick, right. Where it's like the API is a $20 million purse. And then God, the players is even bigger, right? Is the players uh, like 25 million 25. or five? Yeah. The first place is like four something. God. And of course, with so much variance that like so many good players have had like very spotty course histories on, but yeah, I'm, I, I feel like I have a little bit more momentum in one and done right now. I'm still in the basement when it comes to me and you, but I'm not like embarrassed by it anymore. The last week was me with Sung J 28,188. You had Shane Lowry 10 times that 288. 120 season long totals still uh heavily in my favor because I found yeah. Scotty Scheffler and Phoenix and Max Home at the Farmers, so that goes a long way. Yeah. 5.6 million to 1.9 million, but we can cut into it this week. And it, it is a plethora of riches, Andy, right? Like, like you know, these are there, there's no longer a reason to save your guys for major championships. There's a no. reason to save your guys for players, elevated events, travelers, Hilton Head, like all these other events. So um it, it's time to burn a big boy. What what mm. what are some viable options depending on where you are at in your larger one and dunce? Okay, so I think that there is going to be an extremely, extremely elite player that's probably going to be like under five percent owned in larger one and done. Let me tell you who it's gonna be. <laughs> well, um, can I guess i guess sure. i mean i haven't looked at ownership too much this week but like i'm trying to think off the top of my head who's the forgotten guy is it Cantlay? uh okay i have Cantlay at 4.2 percent the 10th highest owned golfer yeah um scheffler feels a little bit forgotten this week 
I have Scheffler as the highest owned, 13%. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. I did not see that coming because I feel like Scheffler sometimes gets overlooked, but I guess he is the defending champion. Um, he was going to be, I guess I can say it now because you already used him. Scheffler was going to be and is my pick in our head, head to head one and done. I just think this is a really good spot for him. And like, I'm finding difficulties figuring out where to deploy him in other markets. So I think this is just a way to do it. But so you think for larger contests, you think Sheffler will be the most popular? That is, again, uh, the caveat here is we use officefootballpool.com. If you have a pool, if you're in a league on officefootballpool.com, you can see the site-wide pick. So this is across yeah. the entire site right now on Tuesday. Scotty Scheffler is checking in as the most selected golfer. That might change. And obviously, obviously leagues that are in echo chambers like Rick Rungo communities or like if you and your friends or what, like th these numbers are going to skew differently, but this is across the board. Um, that forgotten elite. Andy, the guy that I'll be using against you and might mm -hmm. be using in some others, John Rom. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? 4.6%. <laughs> so here's Is the there thing just with like Rom fatigue at this point? Well, here's the thing. I think he's already been used by I can I can look it up, but I think he's like already been used a decent amount and then also mm -hmm. if you're saving Rom, yeah, so he's already been used uh, 25% of the league, which is way more than Scotty, way more than Rory, uh, way more than Cantlay, way more than Zalatoris, way more than Victor, way more than like all these other guys, right? So he's already been used the most of the elite players. And then I think what you're going to see is he is going to be the most popular selection next week. Like he is just yeah. absolutely going to be the most popular golfer next week. You can, you can go to Rory this week with the elite course history. You can go to Scheffler. You can go to Zalatoris if you want to be a little bit different. And all of those factors together are creating a situation which John Rahm is 4.6% owned on a Tuesday. Yeah, and like even if you think Rom is going to win a major this year, which I think most people probably do, but like – there's no reason not to play him here instead of a major. Whereas like, I don't know. I mean, I guess you, you hit the key point that a lot of guys have already used him, but I mean, 4.6% on him this week at a golf course where he's basically starting on second base because of his ability to drive the ball long and straight. And because you want him on courses with a long iron in his hand as often as possible. Wow. That's interesting. Hatton. Did yeah. you expect Hatton to be that high? No, that was very surprising. I guess I guess he's been playing. I mean, he's, he's definitely been playing better, and he's a, a past champion. But I, I think it's a bit silly to use Terrell Hatton at an event with a twenty million dollars. And he's been good. He's been very yeah. good. But look at like I'd much rather play Will. I'd much rather play Colin. I'd much, much rather play Max and Fitzpatrick and Victor and Rob and Kayla and basically everybody else. Yeah, I guess I'm with you. I guess the one guy I would ask to get your opinion on just because I'm seeing him and we haven't talked about him at all is what, where are you at on Jason day these days? Uh, pretty bullish. I don't think using yeah. him here. I think, uh, off the top of my head, doesn't he have a really good history at the travelers? Uh, he, I know he was in the mix last year, so but, I can but say the that, other problem is, but he's also like, got a really good history here and at yeah, the players. Yeah. The other problem is I'm just like, probably not going to use him at an elevated event. Like I think yeah, he's been, I think he's fair. been great, but 3.6 million 
where, okay, we've played three, technically we played three elevated events, the Tournament of Champions, Phoenix, and Riviera. They've been won by Rom, Scheffler, Rom. I, I just yeah. like, these are buzzsaws, man. And Jason Day's been awesome, but Jason Day is not John Rom. Jason Day is not Rory McIlroy, right? So I just yeah. will, I would find myself very unlikely to be using Jason Day in a, in a elevated one and done. And how many elevated non-majors do we have per year? Is it six uh, of them? No, because it's more than we, that, right? It's um, so eight, maybe, because we have we've already had four actually, right? Because I think of the nine century plus tournament the of majors Gaines. is like thirteen elevated events or whatever. Does that sound right to you? Because we still have we still have we still have well, we have this, we have players, we have Wells Fargo, we have Travelers, we have Hilton Head Heritage, yeah. We have uh, obviously then four major championships. And I'm probably missing something, but that's nine more. That is nine events that are going to have like massive purses. Right. And we've already had, I mean, this is our fourth or fifth. This is our fourth. This is our fourth century. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Oh, we have Memorial. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. So maybe there's like ten of them. Maybe we have six more because Travelers, Hilton had Memorial players. That's four right there. Travelers. Did I say Travelers? Anyway, yeah, I think there's yeah. yeah, there's a lot. I guess point 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 being is like there's still a lot of time, um, and there's still probably a lot of players that you know, like how low would you go this week? Would you play Cameron Young in one and done? Okay, I'm I'm okay with that. Especially if yeah, I, especially if I was chasing right. This is the ultimate, and and this is honestly like I don't think I'm like a one and done genius by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that year over year, I have more and more success because I think that I do a really good job of playing my position, which mm -hmm. is like the entirety of this, of the whole thing, right? Like if you, if you are in last and you take Scotty Scheffler this week and he wins, you're not making up much ground. You're just, you're right. just not. And but if you are in the middle of the pack or you need to make up ground, I'm fine to go to Cam Young. In a couple of one and dones where I'm up near the top, you absolutely better believe I'm rolling out Rory McElroy or John Rom. Probably Rory McElroy, right? Like it's just playing your position is so critical, especially in these elevated events where there are 20 guys who could win this. Yeah. So I guess, okay. So do you think I'm being as a chaser in our little mini one and done? Do you think I'm being too conservative with Scheffler? No, because you know that I can't use him, right? And yeah. when it's only when it's only the two of us and you know who I've used and you get to use that guy, it doesn't matter because you will make up ground on me if he wins. Yeah. A two-person right. one and done is insane. It's completely different. Nah. Completely different <laughs> yeah. thing. I know. I know. It's a lot of fun though, honestly. Like even yeah. like even if you do like a five one with some of your friends. So yeah. So that that's it. That's it for me. It's Sheffler. Um really hoping to, you know, because Top fives at these are really important too. Like if you can get a top five at an elevated event, that's essentially the same as winning some of the smaller ones. And like you see in the bigger pools, like the Rick run good one and done, like the fantasy golf championships, like all those big ones. Like if you get a missed cut and you have a somewhat, like I think at the Genesis, uh, one of the, it might've been Homa at the farmers, but like, I feel like at least at the Genesis or Phoenix, like I think the winner was pretty popular, like over 8% or something like that had the winner. You drop like a fly mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the chat is helping us out here. We forgot about the match play, and we forgot about the BMW and Memphis are also technically elevated events. They're playoff events, wow. but they're going to be elevated as well. So, Great yeah, call. ton, ton more. So thank you, chat. All right. Um, that'll do it for us. Rick run good live chat, 3 PM Eastern time on Wednesday. Andy's got more articles coming out on rickrungood.com for the rest of the week. You can follow him on Twitter at ADP lack sports. You can find me at Rick run good. This has been your betting preview for this week's Arnold Palmer invitational. Good luck.